Well, spring greetings. You, uh, you look like you're, you're sprung. Nice to be outside today and nice to be here together. As we continue our series on transformation, learning to live in the kingdom of God, uh, which means uh, working, studying in the school of the Messiah uh, to prepare ourselves to be shaped for our place in God's kingdom. Last week, we looked at Genesis 3, and we reflected on a particular emotion that is so uh, important and so fundamental to our experience. It's the, the experience of shame, that sense that we have that we are not who we want to be, who we should be. We are not enough. It led us to uh, uh, thesis eight in our study here. Shame is the dashboard indicator that tells us a relationship has been broken. And, uh, you know, we didn't talk about it much, but, you know, there is, there's false shame just like there's false guilt. So it's very easy with children to create false shame, to shame them. And, and that is, you know, I don't have to wear this thing anymore, do I? Didn't recognize myself. Uh, so that's a terrible thing. But even there, shame, shame points to a broken relationship, right? Uh, but the root of it is not in the person experiencing that false shame. It's really rooted in somebody else, something that's being done to them. But it still signifies a break. But, but shame in what we might say the legitimate sense is that, that feeling we have of being less than we ought to be uh, because a relationship's been broken in Genesis 3. It's the fundamental relationship is that with God. And uh, we sense that feeling short, and so we go into hiding. That's the classic response of shame. And we pointed out that, <clears throat> that that's not the right response. Right? The, right, the right response is to come toward the person with whom the relationship has been broken, whether it's God or whether it's other people, and to work to restore that relationship. So, uh, last Sunday in our uh, sermon follow-up class that we do on Zoom, Naomi Curry shared a, a little story that just illustrated this so well that I thought, boy, it'd be great if she would be willing to come and share that with us. So Naomi, if you want to come up here, and we'll just talk about that for a few minutes because it's a, it's a great uh, story about this, and, and you share it with that... Uh, inimitable New England accent that we just love to listen to. So have a seat. Uh, no, it, if you want to stand, you can. No, you, you won't fall off. It's too high. I can get you a shorter one if you want. Okay, well, I'm going to sit. Yeah. So uh, you... You were kind of uh, primed for this a bit because Wes, a few weeks earlier, had talked about his uh, medical experience and uh, 
that was kind of a, our, our series uh, lessons from the journey. So here's another lesson that you've learned and it kind of grew out of what Wes did. So tell us uh, how it came about.
Thanks, Naomi. That <laughs> Is there anybody here who can't get in touch with what she's talking about? Uh, but you, you notice, uh, if you think about your own reaction, my reaction, and, and I think Naomi was telling us the same thing, the initial reaction is to hide, <laughs> to withdraw even more from the relationship rather than to move toward the person with whom the break has taken place. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's great that the Spirit led you and you were listening carefully enough that you actually moved toward him. Now, you can't control, obviously, what the other person does, but, but that just seemed to me like a, a great uh, example of what we're talking about here. The, the indicator light went off, and when it does, the question is, uh, how are we going to deal with the problem? And, uh, and so I was just so encouraged to hear that story. I wanted you to hear it as well. All right, so we're, uh, we're moving ahead this week. We still want to think about transformation. And I still want to be working with that idea of Paul in uh, Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 that we are renewed by, uh, by the transformation of the mind. And uh, the, the mind is, is key. Uh, but I want to come at it a little bit differently here. And what I want to talk about is the role of truth in that transformation. So we'll, we'll take our title this week out of Proverbs 23, where we're told to buy the truth. Interesting image. Uh, you'll want to think about that a little bit. So let's, let's look at a number of verses along this theme. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. Uh, you notice there that you mustn't think of truth as just information. We live in, we sometimes call it an information age, right? Information by itself transforms nobody. Right? Information has to have significance and it has to be in the right framework. Proverbs, talking about truth, makes it clear to us that it's more than just information we're, afterward, we're after because notice the, the terms that follow that are all part of that complex of truth. Wisdom, instruction, insight, discernment. That's, that's the kind of truth we're talking about, all right? The words of Jesus, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Frequently, uh, verse 32 is, is presented in isolation. You know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But Jesus puts it in a specific context. He says, if you hold my teaching, then you'll be my disciples, and in that context of being my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A little bit later than that, actually the, uh, well, yeah, later, just before he goes to the cross, we have that uh, high priestly prayer, we call it, in, 
John 17, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And in that prayer, he's praying for his disciples, his immediate disciples, but he's also praying for you and me. He prays, sanctify them. You might want to put in parentheses there, transform them, because that's part of the idea of sanctification. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 4, that we've looked at before in reference to the school of the Messiah, you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And then a a, a joyful little verse where John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And it's, of course, it's not his physical children, it's It's his spiritual children, uh, people that he has brought to Christ and uh, discipled. So the Bible says a ton of stuff about truth. Uh, You know what a concordance is? Probably most of you do. A concordance is uh, is a document that lists words in the Bible in alphabetical order and gives you the references where that word shows up. And there's partial concordances. My NIV here has a partial concordance in the back, selected references. Then there's complete concordances where, uh, you know, basically every major word uh, is listed. And uh, you can learn a ton of stuff just out of concordance. Just open it up. So an interesting exercise for a Sunday afternoon is to sit down with a concordance and just look up the words for truth. And... uh, It's impressive, the stuff that you see going through. Uh, I I observed something just a week ago that never struck me before until I happened to be looking at truth in a concordance. And it was when I came to the gospel references, all four of the gospels, and you know the gospels vary, especially John varies from the other three, But in all of the four Gospels, you have Jesus saying repeatedly, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Just never struck me before. I guess I never saw it. But but these are the things you can learn rather quickly when you examine a concordance. All right. So, truth. What do we want to say? Well, we want to say that people who are in the school of the Messiah, people who are being transformed, are people of truth. Their lives are characterized by the truth. Truth is the key to transformation. So this is most important for us if we say, all right, I want to experience the transformation that scripture encourages. I'm serious about that. Great. You've got to be serious about becoming a person of truth because that is key to transformation. Well, what do we mean by truth in this full biblical sense of insight, wisdom, knowledge, all of that together. What do we mean by truth? And here's one way to talk about it. Truth is an expression of 
reality. Some philosophers would say this, this is probably moving into the area of what's called a correspondence theory of truth. That is, our, our uh, statements uh, are true insofar as they correspond to how things really are. So truth is <clears throat> the expression of reality. Well, you say, what is reality? Uh, I like... Uh, Dallas Willard's clever little definition here, he says, uh, reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. You know, you can just uh, hear this guy talking to his girlfriend, right? Nah, it'll be fine, we'll make it. <clears throat> yeah, reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. Or how about this? This was a, you know, long before the movie came out, this was an event that captured the imagination of people for generations. The Titanic. Well, you know the truth about the Titanic, right? It's what the builders and engineers told us. It was virtually an unsinkable ship. That was the truth, right? Well, until the truth ran into, or until the ship ran into reality. And on a cold night in the North Atlantic, when the ship's captain had been warned by other ships in the area that there were icebergs afloat, what did they do? They, full speed ahead. I don't know if it was actually full speed, but, it, but they didn't slow up, right? Because they knew the truth that they had an unsinkable boat. And one iceberg put uh, the end to that story. Because uh, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. And... Uh, they were wrong at the expense of many people's lives. So this thing of truth is not just a not just a kind of heady philosophical discussion, right? I mean, this is right down and dirty in the midst of our lives. That if we are not people of truth, we will believe. Lies, because that's, that's the enemy's strategy. Genesis 3, where we were last week. The serpent is craftier than any other beast that uh, the Lord God had made. And what's his M.O.? His M.O. is, as Jesus told us, he was a liar from the beginning. But he, he presents a version of the truth to... Adam and Eve, right? You will not surely die. What God has told you is not true. They believe the lie. And then they encounter reality. So this, this is very important. That we should be people of the truth. Because that's what God wants, but 
but just as much, I suppose we'd say, because that's what we absolutely need to be that kind of people. You know, it's an interesting question to reflect on. Ask yourself, is is the perception that the world has of us as Christians that we are people of truth? That'd probably keep you going for a while, but it's, it's worthwhile. We should be perceived that way, and that should be our concern to be that kind of people. Now, having said that, say how important it is for us for living life the way God intends, for being fitted for life in God's kingdom. Having said that, let's go back and remind ourselves of something we've said right along in this series, and that is uh, transformation is hard. And so when we think about becoming people of truth, well, let's not kid ourselves. That's hard. That's going to take work. And I think that's part of what is behind this this Proverbs verse. Where we're told to buy the truth. It's... uh, Part of it is there that the notion is that truth is hard to come by. And you're, going to, and you're going to have to buy it, and it, it's going to be costly. It's going to cost you in some way or another to buy the truth and become a person of truth. There's a, uh, there's a similar thought earlier in Proverbs. It says the beginning of wisdom, that's part of truth, right? The beginning of wisdom is this. Here's, here's the start of it all. Get wisdom. See? Right at the start, if you're serious serious about becoming a person of truth, you've got to set your mind to this. I want to. I intend to get wisdom. And the proverb says, okay, you intend to get that? Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And you, know, you might face that it's going to cost you all you have. And the point that Proverbs is making is not just that it, the truth is hard to come by, but, but it's also that truth is so valuable that it makes sense if you need to give everything you have to get wisdom. That's a good exchange. So to be people of truth... That's what Scripture presents to us. Now, how shall we do that? I want to talk about that this week and then probably some again next week as well, but let's let's get it started with this prayer of Jesus in John 17, 17. Sanctify them, or as we've suggested, transform them through your truth. Your word is truth. So so what is Jesus talking about when he talks about God's Word? And uh, to do that, you realize once again, 
you've just encountered a very big idea in the Bible. It goes right back to, to actually the first couple verses in the whole of Scripture, which present the, the living, true creator God as a God who speaks. That is fundamental to who he is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and it was empty, and darkness was on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God begins, and actually, actually doesn't just begin, he completes his creative work in that, in that first chapter of Genesis. He does it just by speaking. That's, that's the nature of God's word. It has such power that the universe comes into existence. By the speech of God, the Word of God. And that what you find as, as you read through the Bible, you find that this God just continues to speak. And, and He speaks not just to create, but he, he speaks to bring the world, and, and then people into relationship with himself. We saw that last week in Genesis chapter 3. After our first parents sin and hide from God, God comes as the speaking God, and he comes with a question, where are you? And, and so down through history, the people of God in the Old Testament the Israelite Jewish people, they were people who lived with the assumption that God was a speaking God. That was, that was fundamental for them. They had prophets from God who, who spoke. And when you come then in the changeover to what we would call the New Testament and the coming of Jesus, that doesn't that doesn't get less, that gets more. So here, here's how the book of Hebrews starts. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. God spoke to us by his Son. And that's why one of the titles given to Jesus in Scripture, it's particularly by, uh, by John in his gospel, the title given to Jesus is the Word. So John's gospel starts off very similar to Genesis chapter 1, doesn't it? In the beginning, that, that sounds familiar, right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. 
This one was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And you think, wait a minute, Genesis 1, God's word, God speaks and everything is made. Okay, I I get that, but, but now John's doing something a little bit different. He's taken that idea of the word, of God's communication, and he's saying this person, Jesus, that we came to know is actually a person whose existence is rooted back in eternity. And he is preeminently, par excellence, he is God's revelation, his speaking to the world. And he's, he's been there. He's been with God from the very beginning. So that God speaks his word and creation happens. Or another way to say it is God's word who was with God from the beginning and was God is the creator of all things. And, and the writer of Hebrews will go on a little bit further in his book to say not only does God create all things by his word, but he says he upholds all things by his powerful word. And it's a reference to Jesus there. So we get something like this. Uh, I was thinking about a descending spiral, but a a funnel kind of gets the idea too. That a, a funnel concentrates the stream of liquid, doesn't it? And so there's one way of looking at the Old Testament, I think, and what it went before Christ as, as the book of Hebrews says. God spoke unto our fathers through the prophets in many ways and at many different times. But in these final days, he has spoken unto us in his Son. And it is the Son, then, that, that is the full revelatory explanation of who God is. So when we enter the school of the Messiah, and Jesus becomes our teacher, and we say he's not only the teacher, but he's the curriculum that we study, what we are studying is the word of God. We're studying the communication from God, the truth from God, about how things really are, how they are with God, how they are with us, how they are with the world. That's what we're there for. And it's as we encounter the truth about God and ourselves and about the world, that our minds and our hearts are reshaped and we begin to be the people that God wants us to be. And who does He want us to be? He wants us to be like the Word. We're shaped by the Word so that we can become like the Word, that is, like Jesus. Now, of course, the... One of the problems is that uh, we don't have the situation of those first disciples who were the eyewitnesses to the truth, who saw what he did, who heard what he said, who were directly in person in the teaching sphere of the Word. 
But, th but that's not necessarily a problem. In, in fact, our situation in some ways is even better because we now have the words about the word. We have scripture. We have the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus taught us before he left that if we know how to read the Old Testament prophets, we will understand that they were pointing ahead and they were speaking about the word that would become visible in him. The ultimate communication from God. And then we have the Gospels, which are the four different accounts that tell us about the full appearance of God's Word. The full truth of God manifested. And we have the epistles that follow, which are the reflections of some of his closest followers on what those events meant that transpired in their day. And with that, as the picture suggests, we have something else. We, we have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talked about this just before that, that prayer that he prayed to sanctify us by the truth. He, he talked about the coming of the Spirit and uses an interesting term to describe the Spirit. He calls him the Spirit of Truth. So, we are then well-equipped to find the truth, to know the truth, to be transformed by the truth, if we desire to do so. So, the Word of God who came to us, who showed us what God's intention is for our lives. I mean, He's the model. He says about himself, I'm the way, I'm the truth. I am the reality of what God is doing in history and in the world and what God wants to do in your lives. That's me. And so as disciples, we, we come to the Word. I mean, that's one of the terms for these scriptures, right? The Word. And in this word, we look and listen for the word in person who came to us and who now in the presence of the Holy Spirit is still with us in some strange, mysterious way and who will return to take us to himself. We listen for that word because we believe that in receiving that word, not just information, but we receive that word as wisdom, as insight, as discernment, that we will be transformed. Now, here's the thing. All that, in a sense, is what God has done for us, right? It's the nature of God that he would communicate and give us truth about how things really are so that we don't bump into the world and find our boat sinking. But for that to happen, well, folks, here it is. We need to listen with 
intention. What does Proverbs say? Buy the truth and do not sell it. Though it costs you everything you have. Get it. Get get wisdom. Get God's truth. So we, we have to be people who intentionally go after that. The problem is that so many of us are living without intention. Or at least without that intention. We have other intentions, yeah. We have other things we're aiming at. Intention is the seed that creates the future. Well, what future do you want? There's lots of different answers to that question, friends. Do you want the future to be one that looks like you increasingly being conformed to the image of Jesus? Whether you're eight or 80, whether it's in a doctor's office, whether it's at work, at school, whatever. What is your intention? What is the future that you want? Well, if we're going to listen with intention, just a a couple things here, and we can maybe pick this up later, or actually this becomes good fodder for, uh, for conversations with individuals or small groups or wherever. But if we're listening with intention to God's Word, you have to think about things like time, place, and method. If you're listening with intention because you want to become a person of truth, well, when is that going to happen? I mean, that's the question of time. And we know that time is precious because it seems like we have so little of it. I know, actually, we all have the same amount. We all have the same amount. But uh, depending on your intention and depending on your life circumstances, it can be very hard to find a time. I think of, uh, you know, what about young moms with kids who want to become people of truth? Whew! That's a tough one. What about, uh, what about somebody who's working uh, 60 hours a week? It's a tough one. It's not impossible, but it's challenging. And, and that means that without intention to say, I want to become a person of truth, without intention, it's not going to happen. What about place? That can be challenged too. You got a house full of kids? Where's the place that you become a person of truth? Where you absorb the Word of God. That's, that's challenging as well. 
You say, well, I'm going to do it on, while I'm driving to work. I don't think so. Not that that time can't be used wisely, but, but it's very hard to, to rely on that unless you're just going to park somewhere. But if you're driving, eh, that's very difficult. What about method? How, how do I become a person of truth? Well, I, there's all kinds of methods. We have, uh, we have some people here doing uh, online Bible study with Dick Close. Right, that's, that's one way you can do it. You can do it in small groups. You can do it privately by yourself, and there's various ways. Uh, sometimes it's just reading. Sometimes it's meditation, memorization, great way to access truth and incorporate it into your lives. Uh, there's all sorts of ways. If, you are, if you're kind of new to this and you're just starting out, you, you probably want to talk around and get advice from people because not every method works equally well with every person. Right? There's a personality aspect in that. But for every person, there are ways, there's times, there's places, there's methods. The key thing is, do we intend to do that? Is that really a desire that we have, or is that kind of, yeah, whatever, if it, if it happens? I guess it would be nice. But we listen to the Word of God with intention, and we're back to it, for the purpose of transformation, not simply to accrue more information. Been entirely too much of that in the Christian world, too much of that in my own life. Transformation, becoming like Jesus, appropriating, understanding the word, so that we can become like the Word. So let's wrap up with a couple of evaluative questions that you can reflect on. So, am I intentionally growing as a person of truth? Am I intentionally doing that? Is that my goal? And if it is, then what has that per, uh, pursuit of truth caused or brought about in my life? So here's one possibility that I've said to myself, yeah, I want to get truth, and it's resulted in pride. Because now I really know, see? This, this happens to a lot of people that go to Bible school or seminary. Happened to me. Went to seminary, enjoyed it, did pretty well. Came out with my head swelled big like a pumpkin. Well, does that happen to you? What about anger? Some people pursue truth, or at least what they think is truth, and it just makes them angry at everybody. Or they become cynical. Yeah, I know what's really going on, and everybody else is in the dark, and everybody else's motive is suspect. And All right, so does that happen to you at all? If it does, then the truth 
that you're pursuing either hasn't connected or you're not really pursuing the truth. You're pursuing something else. It's worthwhile asking if, if this is the fruit of what I'm doing, if this, and by the way, there's a lot of people, non-Christian people, who look at the Christian church today and that is what they see. So the question is, are they seeing it wrongly or are we not alert to what's really happened to us? Very important question. Well, but on the other hand, what if our pursuit of truth is resulting, because we're being transformed, in more humility, in more gentleness, Compassion, wisdom, patience, goodness, love. What if that's happening? Well, if it is, friends, then you can be pretty confident that you really are pursuing truth and, and that truth is filtering down from your mind into your heart, and you are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Because that's what he's like. And that's what people of the Word increasingly look like. Yeah? Well, some questions then for you to think about this week and... uh, Next week, we're going to try to pick this up a little bit more and think a bit more broadly about truth and how do we access it. And uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but try to figure that out between now and then, and we'll have another talk, right? Let's pray. God, our Father, we, we thank you that you have not remain silent. I think of that old book by Francis Schaeffer. God is here and he is not silent. That gives us such hope, God, that all along you've been speaking, you've been making your mind known, your will known for your people. And, and you've shown yourself to be a God of compassion and mercy and love and grace. And you invite us to respond to you. To intentionally give ear to your word revealed preeminently in Jesus our Lord. God, will you reinforce in us that intention to be people of truth, people who look like Jesus. And and may we encourage each other in that direction, Lord. May, May Grace Bible Church increasingly look like a people who know the truth and love the truth and live the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.